lack of movement is is the biggest issue because you have sustained pressure and where you have sustained pressure you have a reduction in blood flow and this is what results in the destruction of tissues because when you have when you have full movement capabilities there's there are pressures but they're very intermittent and so then you're not restricting blood flow within a bone you're not restricting fluid um, um, to be sustained within a structure. You squeeze the water of a structure, it, it cannot diffuse nutrition. And therefore, this is where you get a breakdown of spinal discs and things like that. Um, and so again, it's just the sustained pressures that, that we're trying to avoid and then restore the normal movement capability so these people have control over when they're applying these pressures. Welcome to Reconsider, I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. Breathing. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna talk about breathing? Yeah. Okay. I, I guess we, sh we should do that. So <laughs> highly, highly requested topic, breathing. Mm. So what what is breathing? What isn't breathing? What <clears throat> makes an effective breath? How should different types of people breathe? Talking about, we'll talk about nasal breathing. In in honor of this episode, I'm wearing my nose strip. <laughs> that uh, I, most I, most people don't most people don't know that I I wear con pretty much constantly outside of yes. the podcast. <laughs> Uh, to the point where I don't even know I'm wearing it a lot of times. Yeah. And if anyone, if anyone knows me, uh, well, they don't even, they probably don't even notice it anymore. No, it's, it's so funny. It's like, I honestly, I, I wasn't even thinking about it until. Yeah. No one even notices it anymore. It's part of my face. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, I took a, I took a headbutt playing ultimate Frisbee in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I have a broken nose. So I, this actually I, I opens do. my. I too have suffered a, I got my face jammed into a uh, basketball court in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah. yeah. So my, my whole septum is like shifted to the left. Yeah. This actually had, helps a lot. I have even had a septoplasty, but uh, it doesn't appear to have uh, long-term effects. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not the, I don't want to get it too off topic here. I mean, I could, maybe I can just cut this out, but um I uh, I've had I have a lot of clients that have had septoplasties and uh, turbinate surgeries, and mm -hmm. they don't take. Yeah, well, for like for a while, I mean, and I, I'm not passing judgment on on anybody's outcome or anything like that. It's like, but like for me, for a while it was good. Like I, yeah. I had a really good like three to six month period in there, and then it just slowly sort of ebbed away. So when we get the, right. when I get done with the uh, choppers i'll probably have to look into it again and see what see what my other options are but anyway yeah <clears throat> so do we want to start with like the con the, the negative consequences of, I, of not being effective so the the reason why people ask i want to try to put my myself in the minds of the people asking like hey talk can you talk about breathing i think what they their perspective when it comes from like a fitness professional that's asking or a person who's an exercise <laughs> enthusiast they see a video or they hear a trainer or they talk to a physical therapist that says, you need to work, we need to work on your breathing and we need to make it like a, 
what what are the diaphragmatic breathing and belly breathing and all of these sort of buzzworthy things that people hear about breathing. Mm-hmm. I want to try to simplify breathing into what it is and then what an effective breath is and what an effective breath is idiosyncratically. So like for each individual, what how they need to breathe is going to be potentially different than their friend or someone else that they know. Mm-hmm. Well, structure is going to structure is going to drive whatever compensatory strategy, yeah, would be utilized. And I don't, and I don't think we've actually we've really talked about that specific. We've sort of winked at it, I guess, over the ten episodes of the podcast. So let's talk about like let's talk about the spectrum of structure and where mm-hmm. people can lie on like the wide to narrow spectrum of things. Okay. Well, okay, so. We're always going to talk about the extremes just for the, the the differential purposes. So we take, what is it, 7.8 billion people, okay? And we're going to look at them two by two. And we're going to say that, that there's two kinds of tubes. There's a long, skinny tube, and then there's the this, this short, stocky tube. And we're going to compare people one by one, or, or two by two. And we're going to say, eventually, we're going to find the longest, skinniest tube human and the shortest, stockiest tube human. And because their tubular structure is different, their behavior will be different. They will have they will have a, an extreme bias in regards to how th- th- this will influence their ability to expand um, as they breathe. And and so the short, stockier uh, tube person is going to use a a much stronger bias towards an exhalation strategy. And this is just by physical structure. So, and, and, you know, we could have another hour long conversation about, about why this bias exists, but, but to save time, what we'll say is like the tall skinny tube is going to be um, more biased towards an inhalation strategy, although their structure is actually cre- creates a, a squeeze. This is why they have to have a bias against, against that. Um, so they can actually breathe in. So, so they bias themselves a little bit more towards uh, an inhalation strategy. The other uh, strategy um, is biased towards an inhalation by structure, so they have a bias towards exhalation. That's why we would see the extreme differences. So, so, so again, your physical structure is going to determine which way you'll end up going under most circumstances. Right. So genetics dictates the structure that we kind of take as we develop from like yeah. an embryo. Yeah. Mom and dad kind of decided you know, what your physical structure will be. There's mild influences environmentally and, and activity wise, but, but generally speaking, whatever your structure is, that's, that's going to be who you are. But this is, but this is why we see like you, if you look at performance, like, like physical performance, this is why you see certain types of structural biases in, in certain activities. Like if you watch Olympic swimming and, and as they introduce all the swimmers and they're all standing on the block, they all look exactly alike. Yeah. Like, so, well, that's, that's a really, yeah. And that's a good example of when specialization comes into play, then you really have, you start to see the extremes. Right. right. And, and, and again, so, so all of these strategies are favorable influences in regards to certain aspects, but then there's, there's also detrimental effects, right? So if you're skewed in one direction or the other, and, and because of your bias, then that influences any number of things to uh, the rate at which you breathe, which can have favorable or negative secondary consequences, depending on perspective. Um, and, and so this is one of the reasons why, <clears throat> you know, certain people may experience 
levels of chronicity in regards to aches and pains and movement limitations and things like that because of, of these structural biases, right? The things that give people superpowers that allow them to do amazing things can also be the, the reasoning behind why your consequence is that you're dealing with a wonky knee or a painful shoulder or back pain or whatever it might be. Okay. So it, keeping it in the context of breathing, and we'll talk about, we can talk more about superpowers. Mm -hmm. So if we have, we're, we're talking about the extremes here, the narrowest of narrow cylinders, and then the widest of wides. And mm -hmm. those are, we're talking about people. So when you think right. about cylinders, we're, we're talking about like, think about the cylinder as if I just took the rib cage and the pelvis. Yeah. And that would be like, that would be like where we're talking about the cylindrical aspect of it. And the appendages come off of that, of course, and the, they're affected by these, the structural components that we're talking about. But what are, what are narrows in the context of breathing still, even though it is coherent um, with other types of movement, what are narrows good at versus, um, uh, and bad at versus a wide individual? We'll start with narrows. In regards, in regards to physical activity? Yeah, movement. When we're talking about movement and breathing specifically, like what what tends to be, what do what do the, each of these tend to be able to do well and not do well? Uh, your 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 taller, slender, tubular people that we will refer to as narrows, because we talk about we we talk about structure based on on a couple of proxy measures like the angle of the ribs and things like that. Um, they tend to be better at turning. They tend to be better at demonstrating velocity. Um, the, internally, their their ability to generate pressure. If we're making direct comparisons between the extremes, their ability to generate um, like high force, high pressure is lesser than the opposing representation. So the shorter, stockier person, because of their exhalation bias high force producers. So they, they will tend to be referred to as the stronger people. Um, not, not as fast. doesn't mean that these people can't be fast compared to something else. It's just, again, we're comparing the, the two extremes as far as where we would see the benefits. Again, like at one end, the, the taller slender is velocity. The other end is force power, you know, over um, short durations as it were. Um, so you'll see, you know, like if you look at the the difference between an offensive lineman in American football and a wide receiver in American football, that would be a good representation of the two extremes. Both could be considered fast for their for their structure, but um, typically you're going to see higher velocities out of the wide receiver. Um, you're going to see higher force production out of the offensive lineman. Yeah, for for our international folks, it would be like a a. a and longer distance track athlete and like a um, rugby shot player, maybe. Or shot putter. Or shot putter. Yeah. If you want to think about track and field. Yeah. That, that's the best. If it's keeping in the track and field world, you got the wide shot putter, wide throwers. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like your, your distance runners. You have like pole vaulters and, and uh, high, high jumpers. Even there's a little more of your, your narrower individuals. They're, they're a little bit more bendy as well. Yeah, they got to be able to turn. They got to be able to kind of float. Yeah, to be able to. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, it, it just predisposes them towards certain things. It doesn't mean that that you can't do certain things at all. It just means that you might be better at something than someone else. Right, and it's a simple, a really simple way to think about it because we've taught we talk about movement, but we haven't really broken it down to its simplest parts yet. And thinking about it from 
expansion and compression as we move the narrows are going to be more on the expansive end of things so that's that's going to relate itself to how you're saying it's easier for them to turn and rotate and it's easier for them to display velocity because it's velocity is displayed off of the ground instead of when you're pushing on the ground so the compression yeah yeah. they have a smaller they have a smaller window of opportunity to apply force to the ground. And that's just a physical structure thing. Yeah. When you think of narrow, a narrow tube, the space at which the narrow tube can put force down into the ground is going to be smaller wide yeah. as a larger center or uh, surface area to put into the floor. Right. And there's okay. there numerous examples that people will come up with that are in conflict with that concept and that's fine. But the understanding sure. that we're talking about structural bias not right. possibilities. Yeah, we're talking about the bias of structure, why structure changes how we move and our strategies for movement. So I think it's a good opportunity to kind of talk about part of the reason that you, when you and I started this podcast, we were thinking about like, how do you create a program that helps everyone? Like in the real, the real answer to that is you can't because a generalized program can't help everybody. So if you take a program that's based more on someone's inherent structure, especially right. when it comes to the extremes, that's sort of what you and I have been working on. And we wanted to sort of introduce to the the people listening to the podcast, anyone that's still listening five to six minutes into it, uh, <laughs> probably someone who would be interested in this. So what, yes. what we have going is a, a program called Recon that we're working on releasing. And that is going to be uh, for people that have run into continued and repeated setbacks with trying to get back into exercise. People that uh, cannot seem to get the changes that they make in their sessions to stick between sessions. And a lot of that just has to do with trying to, when people try to move outside of their abilities and what their structure might dictate in terms of what they should be doing for activities, then I think that's where a lot of people end up just sort of banging their head against the wall. Right. Uh, and they keep running into continued problems because they they're they're finding programs and they're being told to do certain things based on generalized ideas. Well, and, yeah, it's like they're, they're, everybody's being compared to an average. And that, there's there's no such thing, really. Right. Everybody has an idiosyncratic representation that, that's going to bias you in one direction or the other. And so the people that are closer to the average may may see some benefit. And then there's the rest of us that are kind of like, OK, you and I on camera. Yeah. Are actually pretty good representation of of opposing structures. Yes. Right? And and so for you to follow the same program as me and expecting the same result, it's 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 kind of unrealistic. And so that's what right. we're doing. It's like we're, we're taking this structural component into consideration to skew things towards where you would be more successful in regards to your exercise selection and execution. Yeah. So the long story short, we're, we're creating and we've created a program to help people that have had problems trying to get back into shape. So it's a, to complete the job of like, what do you do before? What's the program before the training program that you want to do? Right. Like, how do you lead back in? How do you change the, the the way that you adapt to stress? How do you change your movement strategy to be something that allows for this continued consistency uh, that, that's going to lead itself to progress in fitness? So if you have interest in, in signing up for, or you want to learn more about this, you can email us at reconyourself at gmail.com. And I'll put a little bit, uh, link in the in the video. Um, but yeah, if you're listening, 
it's recon yourself at gmail.com. And then in the subject line, uh, just write interested in the program or something along those lines. And then we'll tell you what you can do uh, to get signed up and try it out. There you go. Excellent. So put put that out in the universe. Okay. We should go back to breathing. Yep. Um, and then so we're talking about we're talking about the different structures dictating mm -hmm. how people can breathe. Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about what happens when someone breathes. So like the actual mechanics of breathing, like what is happening that makes makes that happen? What what movements need to occur throughout the body? Uh, to allow for air to come in and out. Well, the, this, the simplest representation is it's just a change in a pressure gradient. So you have atmospheric pressure, which is what, 750 millimeters of mercury or something like that. And then we need we need to, I, th I think it's about 750. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that. That For some reason, that number pops well, up. I can, I can totally. I'm sure you'll look that. it up for me. <laughs> 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 but uh, <clears throat> point being is we have to actually create a negative uh, pressure relative atmospheric pressure, and that's what brings the air in. And then you create a positive pressure, and then that's what pushes the air back out. Thus, the bias that we just expressed in regards to physical structure as to being better at one than the other. And then that, of course, is going to skew muscle activity. So, for instance, um, what we may see, <clears throat> what we may see is the influence of the of the the diaphragm so the muscle that everybody tends to associate with with breathing is going to bias itself in a certain direction um, to allow you to continue to breathe even though you may have a structural bias that is pushing you in one direction or the other so this is where the compensations start and this is where an increase in muscle activity um, may be associated with a reduction in the ability to move well, because you tend to start to use superficial musculature, the stuff on the outside that we see in the mirror, right? We tend to use those as compensatory breathing muscles to allow us to continue to breathe, um, which is kind of important because when you stop breathing, bad things tend to happen, right? And so you would rather breathe with a uh, less than efficient mechanism than to not breathe at all. And, and so again, this is this is one of those biases of the further you go into a structural difference, the more prominent these compensatory strategies will be. So this is why we're, we're such sticklers about effective breathing, because what we're trying to do is reduce that influence of the superficial musculature that gets in the way of what we would consider um, normal movement or effective movement. Right. So certain certain structural types. So we'll talk we'll just talk about wides and narrows for for the sake of this conversation and further breathing conversations. They're you're going to have a bias towards either inhalation or exhalation. Yes. Based on their their inherent structure. So someone who's more compressed is going to need to figure out a way to inhale better because they are more exhaled. Someone who is narrow is going to need to find a way to exhale better because they are more on the inhaled side of things. Right. So we right. see that typically at, presented, as Bill was saying, the angle of the ribs, the angle, especially of the lower rib cage can show you 
Um, there's a lot of things that are telling. So one thing that people, if anyone's watching this, the things that are telling about like how Bill and I are on the spectrum of I'm more of a narrow individual, just, you know, better at turning, played throwing sports. Uh, my my And Bill is more along the lines of someone to be good at like weightlifting and football and things like that. Right. But what you can see just based on looking at our faces or would just be like the angles that the angles that are coming like from our nose and our foreheads, you can see it just based on the shadows in our pictures. Bill's going to have a wider representation of this. And mine is going to be on the more narrow end. So if you think about like a um, an hourglass going through someone's face, you'll typically see a wider version of that hourglass uh, in a wider person. And, and we and we see these things and we can see these things sort of um reflexively like we can look at someone and, and tell the difference but it's it's hard to sort of it's hard to put that like put words to that i think so hopefully that's helpful for some people to see the difference between a lot of people have a hard time seeing the difference between wides and narrows yeah because again it's, you think about the the broad spectrum of variation like i said we're we're always talking about the two extremes so so we can create a a, a measure of understanding and then you're going to have grades of people that will fall everywhere in between and so some of those yeah. are a little bit more difficult to to classify but that's why we have we will we will see idiosyncratic movement capabilities associated with your bias right so sure um the the narrow people will tend to be more biased towards external rotation or the ability to turn outward the wide people will be biased towards their ability to to turn inward, which allows them to again they're they're much more forceful. So you have to push into the ground for a longer period of time, and you can push into the ground harder because again that is that would that would be your bias. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm really trying with this episode. I'm really trying to think of the the lay people and the laymen. Um, so things that I think we're glossing over would probably be what happens mechanically with our skeleton when we breathe and i think that like what what are the things that everyone needs to be able to display to some degree when they breathe that they don't so i'm thinking of like pump handle bucket handle and the way that the pelvis kind of opens and closes sort of like a flower blooming and closing yeah. so so to create the pressure change that we talked about a, a little bit ago there there you you that's your your expansion. So to create the negative pressure, you have to create an increased volume of space. And, and again, that, that's what creates this, this differential between the atmospheric pressure and allows the air to go in. And if I was to squeeze you, all you have to do is like, take your, take your significant other, give them a really hard squeeze and just listen. Right. Yeah. And, <gasps> yeah, exactly. It's like, like you're forcing, you're forcing the exhale because you're creating the compressive strategy. Um, and so again, this is this is how we move air, but this is also how we change shape to move. And so again, if we don't have sufficient excursion between an inhale, the expanded representation of the skeleton, the outwardly turned representation of the skeleton, and the compressed representation of the skeleton or the inwardly turned, we lose our ability to move in certain ways. That results in the compensatory strategies. That results in aberrant movement behaviors that can result in um lowered performance or or worse pain yeah so if you take i think a good way to to conceptualize this for people if you take your hands and you make like a rib cage with your hands it's weird how this looks so similar right uh <laughs> and when you breathe in you get this sort of opening up 
So you, the two things that I sort of mentioned, yeah, that sort of external rotation expansion and then that compression and internal rotation, but it actually, this is, this sort of movement is actually how the ribs are going to move as you see my, my fingers going in and out here. Uh, so that, that the, the wide swinging rib cage is what a lot of people refer to as like a bucket handle action. So the side of a bucket moving up and away and then down and in. And then the the thinking about things from a front to back, anterior to posterior perspective, you have a sternum and then a space between your shoulder blades that should expand in opposition as well. Yeah. And a lot of a times- A little bit more front to back in the upper part of the rib cage. It's a little bit more outward and upward, sort of a side to side-ish kind of a representation in the lower rib cage. Yeah, yeah but to, it's, it's, not as, it's not that clean, just for the record. It's not really that clean. It's just the fact that you have a little bit of, you're constrained a little bit more in the upper rib cage because of the sternum and because of the way yeah, the ribs attach. So there's a little bit of structural difference that influences why you would see a front to back versus a side to side bias. But right. Like but the simply doing the same thing. Just a different Sim degree. Yeah. Simply speaking, you you want to have some semblance of what would we call like circumferential expansion. So if yeah. you want to be able to see air expand in these directions, front to back, side to side, up to down, yeah. because the the expansion that you're capable of of displaying through breathing is gonna also sort of indicate where you can and can't move with spaces right. you can and can't move into. And then all, and just on top of that, that sort of expansion is happening in a very similar way in the pelvis and the skull and in, throughout the body. So that influences how you can move um, and the interrelatedness between how these play, pieces can move together right. as well. So think about this. If, if so, if I, if I expand the space in my rib cage, so the, so the lungs, the, the fluid in the lungs is air. Okay. And then the, the other compartments, if you will. So, so from the neck up, from the ribs down into the pelvis, those are primarily water. Okay. So it's, so it's just there, it's all fluid based, but, but um, in one space you have air. So, so I increase the space. That means that the water ha it has to move somewhere else. So, so as the water gets pushed, so water's incompressible. So this is what causes the expansion from the neck up, and this is what causes the expansion down into the pelvis. Is the the you're basically your guts are water, so they're going to get pushed down the pelvis, and they expand the pelvis at the same time the thorax or your rib cage expands when you breathe in, and the same reason that your cranium would expand under the same circumstance. It's like all you got to do if you want to feel what it feels like to have your cranium expand um, based on fluid, just hang upside down, and yeah. you get you get a nice little sense of of what's happening to a small degree. Um, it's a little bit more comfortable when you're breathing and upright. You don't feel the the extreme representation of the expansion, but but that's the point. It's like like your your whole system is expanding as you take a breath in, and therefore that's why it supports the ability to move in certain ways. Right. So the um, talked about the mechanic mechanically what what we expect to happen. And that's what, when people talk about breathing exercises and working on their breathing, really what they're trying to do is reclaim these movement strategies, I guess, in terms of like the efficiently breathing and breathing based on your structure. And we want to see uh, that airflow happening in these spaces in all these different directions. Right. What, what typically, what typically happens to these to people, anyone experiencing any type of issue that might require them to pay more attention to their breathing, 
what are the typical presentations of that? And what are the things that those people seem to lose the ability to do? Okay. So when you, when you think about the, the inhale, and then you think about separate bones, each bone has its own way to move relative to another bone. So we have, we have things that move in opposition. And that would be represented in an effective breath in. So um, if you think about, oh, the pelvis is a really easy one to see where your, your sacrum or your tailbone will move differently than the, than the hip bone, than the anomalous. So they move in opposition to one another. Um, yeah, I, I, have I, I, I have a pelvis right here. You want me, want me to grab yeah, it? Yeah, I was going to grab mine. <laughs> I have one too. So we should can, we both, so we should we both have about our pelvises this. on the screen? Should we get yeah. our pelvises? We get our pelvises to talk oh, to each oh, other. We get... <laughs> this is the lamest thing I've ever seen. This, this is, is this will be the this will be the thumbnail of us just holding pelvises. So I'm just gonna show this, Chris, because it'll make <laughs> sense. So when you take your breath in, your your sacrum, this is the, where I got my, my index finger there. That's gonna move backwards relative to the this is the anominate bone there. So they move relative to one another versus moving together. Right. Okay? So when I take an effective breath in, I have this relative movement. And then we think about like all the other bones, all the other bones in the, in the, in the body will move relative to whatever they're attached to. Right. So Can you grab the pelvis? I think, is that, do you, is that pelvis wide enough for you to put your hands up into? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, the, um, the representation of inhale where your hands kind of open and then exhale being the, this is helpful for people to see. So we're talking about but that. It like, opens like that. Don't break the pelvis in the front. Like mine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it would open like that basically. Right. So it's kind of, it's like the guts are coming down as you take a breath in. So there's gotta be more space. So, so it like it opens up and, and re representation of, of a, like a flower opening is usually a good, Good understanding of, of that happening. Yeah. So the whole thing, the, the whole thing sort of expands to so it can accept the volume of the internal organs as they're getting pushed down as you take the breath in. Okay. And then but, but the, um, the point the point of this is is the effective breath in produces a relative movement, right? So so again, things are moving relative to something else. When you have a compensatory breath all of that moves as a single unit in a specific direction. So instead of having this nice relative motion between segments, everything moves together and can be very useful in um, sports performance or some effective, um, you know, high force activity associated with your work or whatever. But um, it, it also results in pressures and tensions in very specific areas that can result in pain experiences. Yeah, when you're talking about, yeah, when you're thinking about aggressive forces and gyroscopic forces, and I want and I want something to happen abruptly and sharply and into like a, a high magnitude, so like right. a jump or a very yeah. high velocity throw. I, I need, I need, so this pressure and volume gets kind of thrown around through your body and I need it to hit a wall sometimes, a very right. abrupt stop and turn right. around. Right. Um, and, and that's going to create, and that helps kind of create this sort of slingshot action that's needed in other places in the body. Cause right. you need a really hard fixed point to, right. to work off. There, of. there are, there are definitely certain times where things should not move relative to one another. 
High force situations would be that situation, but you don't want to walk around using a high force strategy in low force conditions. So I should be able to move between the two strategies. And, and that's one of those things that we work on a great deal with people. But it's also, that, again, that's why we emphasize the breath during certain types of exercise, because the goal is to restore this these relative movement capabilities. They tend to improve comfort. They tend to allow you to dampen forces versus putting them specifically on on certain structures so you know again people come in with like a knee pain or an elbow yeah. pain or a shoulder pain it's because the forces are not moving they're not dampening through those structures they're becoming focal and then that's why we start to recognize that um, in certain instances as again a reduction in movement or pain so here's one that this one's going to resonate with a lot of people because the very high percentage of people have had back pain in their lives. And a lot of people are going to talk about L5 S1 as being that sort of focal spot. So why would it be that so many people have issues at let's take a couple examples. Any let's talk about the transitional segments in the in the vertebrae. So in your neck to thorax, in your in your thorax, in the middle of your thorax, like the TL junction, and then the L5S1 area. Why would those areas be particularly uh, hot or prone to painful feelings and injury? Well, in, in, when you're transitioning between the, the the thoracic spine, which is where the rib cage is, and then the the, the lumbar spine. It's like there's a, there's a, a rotation that needs to occur in those segments. And you if you take that away, so if you compensate, and instead of having, again, the relative motion where they can turn in opposition, when they're when they're compressed together and then they move, they move as a single segment, then again, there's there's just a greater load. There, there's a lack of, of distribution of the load and it becomes a focal load. Same kind of thing in the transition between the the, the sacrum and the, the lumbar vertebra. So the L5 S1, okay, that's the transition between the the solid looking bone of the sacrum and then the, the first lumbar vertebra. And that's gonna be the transition where if I uh, lock the pelvis together as a single bone, so instead of having the, the relative motion that we demonstrated before, <clears throat> I'm gonna have uh, the entire pelvis orienting relative to that that next spinal segment and so that's going to create a lot of a lot of compressive strategy literally right at that segment and so it's a real common area which is why you know most of the most of the uh, spinal disc injuries that you're going to see are going to be in the lower part of the lumbar spine for that reason because that's that's that transition point where the the pelvis will start to move as a single unit Right. And then the spine will actually start to do that as well. And then there's just the greatest amount of pressure right at that segment. So there's, yeah, there's this, we need this ability. So trying to, trying to come back to what we've been talked about so far, we need this ability to expand and compress effectively. And let's keep talking about the pelvis and the lumbar and the low back here uh, as this example. So if, if I lose the ability to, to display this expansion and compression and these relative motions become lost in the pelvis. I have a very, I've become very stiff in that area and the pelvis starts to orient in one piece in all of these directions to move. But more importantly, since that area is locked up, I have to start looking above that area and below sometimes 
to the bones that have a larger degree of freedom. So the lumbar spine has pretty large degree of freedom in different directions. So that becomes an area where there's a lot of undue bending that has to happen and rounding through the spine and bending as I try to change and, and orient myself through space. So that can lead to uh, overuse and having to try to use those segments of my spine or even like my lower or my upper legs and, and hip sockets to try to bend and twist their way through space when the pelvis won't allow me to do so. Yeah, it, it just, it, it, the lack of movement is, is the biggest issue because you have sustained pressure and where you have sustained pressure, you have a reduction in blood flow. And this is what results in the destruction of tissues, because when you have, when you have full movement capabilities, there's, there are pressures, but they're very intermittent. And so then you're not restricting blood flow within a bone. You're not restricting fluid, um, um, to be sustained within a structure. You squeeze the water of a structure, it, it cannot diffuse nutrition. And therefore, this is where you get a breakdown of spinal discs and things like that. Um, and so again, it's just the sustained pressures that, that we're trying to avoid and then restore the normal movement capability so these people have control over when they're applying these pressures. Right. Okay. Uh, I What I want to do is let's let's wrap up talking about the mechanical aspects of it mm -hmm. uh just as that was our general introduction to it and then we're going to get into like what we can do about it what what breathing should look like we'll relate it to some activities mm -hmm. um and then we'll we'll talk about what we see as people's understanding that they they gather from google and therapists who might not be as well informed or misinformed even and then what we can do about those uh, ideas that need to sort of be killed uh, as well. <laughs> but we'll, we're actually going to, we'll break uh, this episode up into two because we're already at like 30 minutes. So I don't want to have an hour long episode. So we'll have a part one and a part two. Okay. Um, so if you're still watching, we will see you shortly as we, as you go to the next episode, or if you're one of those people that watches right away, then you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. And uh, what what can we what can we talk to the the folks that are are actually watching toward the end of this? What what should we ask them to talk about in the comments? Oh, like you mean like the superhero thing like we did before? Or, or yeah, you... yeah. Oh man, so there's definitely people that do watch it to the end of it. There, there are there's there's been a few people that have actually made the comments on the the superhero thing. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, so what is what's your what's your favorite? So we'll keep in the in the vein of superheroes. What's your favorite uh, superhero vehicle? Oh, that's a good one. Um, interesting. Yeah, I have, I have a couple. Well. I so you can categorize it if you want. Like I I have like like what's the most ridiculous? Oh, have like what I, I have the most the, ridiculous. I, I mean, okay, well, let's just, we'll start with that. Cause so we're not talking about ridiculous. We're talking about like, what do you think is like the coolest one? And you can make categories if you want. The What's coolest. your most ridiculous? Oh no. So you and I are going to talk about ridiculous. Oh, ridiculous. Yeah. What's so the most ridiculous, ridiculous one? Uh, the Spider-Man doom buggy. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah, I do. That's so funny. <laughs> mine, uh, mine is, mine is always going to be Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet. Oh, <laughs> it's just so silly. It's just like, 
at a certain point someone was uh i don't remember which author was just like let's just make her fly reconsider is sponsored by substance nutrition go to substancenutrition.com get your neuro coffee better coffee better brain and synthesis better protein better body enter the coupon code recon r-e-c-o-n and get free shipping on all of your orders <laughs>